You're listening to Girls with Grafts, a burn community podcast created by Phoenix Society for Burn Survivors, a leading nonprofit dedicated to supporting the burn community. In this podcast, we'll talk with burn survivors, share resources to help with supporting and improving burn recovery, and discuss how to prevent burn injuries. Here are your hosts, burn survivors and Phoenix Society's marketing team, Amber Wilcox and Rachel Kudlak. Hello, and welcome back to season two of Girls with Graphs. I am Rachel Kudlak, and I am one of your hosts, and I'm joined with my co-host, Amber Wilcox. Hello, so excited to be back for season two. This is so exciting. Thank you all so much for the support we received in season one. Um, But I am super excited to kick off season two in such a beautiful way. So without further ado, Rachel, do you want to introduce our exciting first guest? Yes, I'm so excited. And also, I will forewarn everyone, her bio is long because she has so much experience. So bear with me. But I'm so, so, so excited to welcome Ketchy to Girls with Graphs, Nigerian-born author and powerful singer. She is an inspirational and TEDx keynote speaker, MBA student, and bullying prevention advocate. Her dramatic story, as well as her impactful messages of resiliency and overcoming, combine powerfully to inspire personal and cultural transformation. She found her true voice after her accident, a plane crash that took the lives of 107 of 109 passengers in Nigeria in 2005. Throughout the difficult journey of burn recovery, catching by Christian faith, her family, and her music. Becoming a finalist on America's Got Talent in 2017 was Ketchy's truest dream realized. And on June 10th of 2018, she realized she released her debut single, Don't You Dare, on all digital music platforms. In 2019, she became a finalist on the premiere season of America's Got Talent, The Champions, through Simon Cowell's Golden Buzzer. Ketchy's memoir, More Than My Scars, released on March 29th, 2022, under Baker Publishing Group, and her self-titled debut album is currently streaming on all digital, digital music platforms. Ketchy hopes to use her voice and her story to ignite hope all over the world within those that need it. Ketchy, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to have you on Girls with Graphs. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be here and honored to be premiering season two with y'all. That's so cool. (laughs) Well, Ketchy, we are so happy to have you here with us today. Everyone in our community truly loves you and follows your journey. Uh, I know Rachel shared a little bit about your burn injury, but if you don't mind, would you take us a little bit about back to your accident, the plane crash, and what your recovery looked like? Yes. Okay. So um, my accident happened when I was 16 years old. I'm currently 33 for some context. Um, It was in 2005, December 10th, and it was back home in my home country, Nigeria. It was a plane crash that took the lives of 107 of 109 people on board. So it was a regular commercial plane. I was flying home for the Christmas holidays from my high school, which was a boarding school in Nigeria. Um, So it was a local flight from one state to the other. Mm -hmm. And there were 60 other kids from my high school um, on that plane, including very close friends who didn't make it, unfortunately. Um, There were two survivors. Some was myself and another woman who I didn't know before the accident, but is a good friend now. Um, And so through that accident, um, I sustained third degree burns 
over 65% of my body. So pretty much means everything from the top of my head to my feet burned except for my torso and a, bit, a little bit of my back. Um, so um, after sustaining those injuries, um, I had like a 30% chance of survival when I was found. And within 24 hours, I was flown to the nearest hospital that could care for my level of burns, which was not in Nigeria, but in South Africa, in a hospital called Mill Park hospital for burns. So that's where I spent um, the next seven months in their burn ICU and eventually their ward. But um, they essentially saved my life over there. And then um, I came over to America in 2007 for reconstructive surgery with Shriners. And that's how I met, you know, connected with Shriners, the Phoenix Society and all that good stuff. But um, yeah, that's, I guess, just in summary, what, what happened to me. That's my accident. Well, thank you for sharing your story that I, I don't think I knew all parts of that. I've watched you for a long time on America's Got Talent, but don't think I knew all of that. So it's really cool that you still connected with the other survivor on the, the, the crash. Yeah, That's really neat. Had to. Had to. And how long really was that physical recovery? I know you said you were there for seven months, yes. but when did you get back? When did you leave? When did you kind of get back into, you know, a normal sense of living again? Gotcha. So yeah, the time frame very long. I mean, I mean, y'all already know it's it's a very long healing process. You cannot rush it, um, especially when you sustain like really intense burns. So um, I was in the ICU for four months of those seven, the burn mm -hmm. ICU, and it was touch and go in the beginning. A lot, you know, um, I dealt with a lot of sepsis and um, lots of infection, mm -hmm. lots of situations where I almost didn't make it, but thankfully did because I just got such great care and I had so much support from like my loved ones, my mom, especially. And then um, the next three months I spent in the ward, the burn ward in the same hospital. So that's where um, they started giving me things like pressure garments and uh, just things that would basically help to start the process of um, helping the skin to kind of gain back its elasticity and uh, helping the scars like press them in so they, they don't um, form keloids and, you know, things that are, we're very prone to essentially, you know, um, when it comes to like skin that has melanin, I think is a little more prone to things like that. So they started trying to combat that while I was in South Africa, but it didn't really, things were still a little fresh then, hadn't really moved around as much like the scars, they move constantly. So, I mean, they, the way they were in like the fifth, sixth month was not how they were going to be in like a year, you know? So, um, but they tried what they tried what they could. The most important thing in South Africa was like, they saved my life. And then I moved back to Nigeria after seven months. So I was in Nigeria for about six months or so. So um, it was July, 2006 up till February, 2007. And I was, that was kind of like a waiting period for me where um, I was being kind of managed by Shell Hospital while they, while they looked for a hospital that would continue my reconstructive, like the actual reconstructive surgery would finally start in this, you know, potential hospital, which ended up being Shriners in Galveston. So um, in January, 2007, I was moved over to Shriners in America, moved with my entire family, completely relocated and uh, lived in Galveston while going to the Galveston, you know, shrine for treatment where I got a lot more surgeries that were a lot more specific when it came to giving me back my independence and just practical, mm -hmm. treatment, you know, South Africa was very focused on just saving my life. They didn't really care much for, I guess the quality of the life. It was just mm -hmm. important to save it. And that's what they did. And mm -hmm. America is where they 
focused on giving me back a, a quality of life. So that took a very long time. I got here in a wheelchair and it took about maybe four or five years of surgeries, very specific surgeries to get me back some semblance of independence. Well, no, fully, I would say semblance of independence started within two years. So I was there for 2007. I mean, yeah, 2007, 2009. So those two years between 2007, 2009, that's when I had the surgeries that got me out of the wheelchair, first of all, and got me mobile. And then mm. I started high school. So that's so within those two years, I was able to like restart high school, which, you know, was cut short in Nigeria. And so I got strong enough to actually like attend school physically, like go to an actual school. I went to Ball High, graduated and then started college. And then during my college years, the next four years, that was um, when I continued my surgeries that con continued to give me more and more independence until I got to a place where they had pretty much done like the, giving me the foundation of like my independence. You know what I mean? Anything mm. else from here was, was going to be like purely for a, I guess, aesthetic, just kind of a, right. um, like Visual. Yeah. really to make mm. things as, like as much as as like normal looking as possible like, to the best that doctors can, can afford to. Mm -hmm. but, into like being able to do things for myself that happened around 2013 so i guess that would be about seven eight years after the accident happened oh wow mm. so it's been a long road to recovery how would you say you're doing today today i am obviously at my best definitely i can do pretty much anything for myself um still cannot lift things that are too heavy i have to be very careful with that especially with working out just because my fingers have pins in them they were actually mm. My hands were like, they've kind of fused like this when I first came here, which was okay. a big problem. I couldn't do, I mean, obviously you can't do much with like your hands this way. So right. major surgeries they did was to give me back this range of movement. And that had to be achieved by literally breaking the bones in my fingers and then mm. them in a specific position that would be useful. So one on the, I guess the con would be, I would never be able to straighten the fingers ever again, but at least they would be fused in a more practical position. So this is sure. how since 2008, I think, is when I did that surgery. And so um, this was probably the most life-changing surgery because, like, I'm sure you need your, like, you need your fingers and your hands to do stuff. But I still have to be very careful not to strain it just because the pins are in there and I can't lift things that are too heavy. Aside from that, I think the main thing I deal with the most right now is the itching. The itching is just mm. this, perm this, it's just this demon that I feel probably I'm going to have to deal with for the rest of my life. It's just not as bad as it used to be. But it's still, I mean, even as I speak today, it's still a big problem. Like I'm currently literally trying to figure out my prescription for um, the one itching med that um, makes a, a slight difference, I guess, which is, mm. I think it's processing. I think that's what it is. So that with a combination of like Benadryl tries to keep things at bay. I have moments where it gets really bad. Like in the, yeah. summer, the height of summer, it's just like, mm. but then sometimes, the heat. yeah, exactly. The heat. Sometimes in winter, it also gets bad. It's really random. Sometimes I just have these phases where it's just really, really bad and I just can't stop scratching. But um, I will say, no matter how bad it gets, it's not enough to stop me from living my life. So I think that's mm -hmm. a very important point to, to, um, to kind of point out. So, yeah. I love that you brought up itching because I think we don't talk about that enough or, or we don't, we haven't talked about that a lot in the podcast, but itching is something I hear all the time from, from other burn survivors of like, I can't. Now you're mm -hmm. still in Texas, right, Ketchy? Yes, I am. And so the heat there is just as bad. I'm in Florida. And so the heat. Can, oh, yeah. Oh, I the find humidity, though, 
Yep. Yep. yep the humidity yep. is rough, but I, I think too, I go up North and I struggle with the dry climate of like yep. that cold more than I do with the heat. Interesting. Um, but the, I mean, I think like the, the heat makes me sweat so much that I, and I can't obviously sweat my graph, but I think like oh, yeah. the humidity of the sweat for whatever reason, I find it like help more helpful yeah. but I, than, than the cold, but Very um, interesting. Huh. yeah, but I what do use a like, lotion. What's your, like, uh, the, um, like how, how much of your body, what's the percentage? Yeah, I'm 20%. So just, it's okay. just on my legs. So I don't have a harder time up here. My mm. legs do, I do get irritated on my legs, like in this, specifically where there's hypertrophic scarring. Yeah, I don't know. I need where there's rays. Yep. That's where I get the most itching. But I would mm -hmm. say, yeah, for me, it's the cold it seems to get me more than the, the heat. I find does. that very interesting because it's. <laughs> completely opposite for me literally really? I, I love the cold is i is feel like i thrive <laughs> in the That's cold funny. that is so and fun. yeah maybe it's the percentage of of i don't know rachel do you struggle i so in the summer it's like the summer and the winter both of them because in the winter i spent a, i'm in charleston south carolina so i also get some heat mm -hmm. and in the summer i think it's more because i'm applying a lot more sunscreen and a lot more products mm -hmm. on my skin mm -hmm. and then i get irritated that way I and see. then yeah in the winter when i am like up in pennsylvania visiting my family for the holidays i dry up and i am irritated in a different way it's like two huh. different irritations do you use anything on your scars like lotion or whatnot that help anything that helps oh yeah yeah i mean <laughs> without that lotion <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible just it's just not possible it's mm -hmm. um but first when i moved here oh my god before i moved to america finding the right combination of like of like lotion was hell honestly mm. like there's nothing worse than having like for me what makes because I'm, I'm pretty much um uh grafted everywhere right except mm -hmm. for i guess like my tummy Although it looks mm -hmm. like it's grafted because that's where they took like all the skin and stuff. But like sure. that's the only place on my back that has normal skin. Everywhere mm -hmm. else, except maybe some parts of my upper arm, um, have like uh, just like have my actual skin. But then most of it is still like, you know, keloids or like grafts. So I think sure. because most of my body is made up of like the grafts, I, I don't I don't have enough like sweat pores. So, right. so like things like it's I overheat so easily, essentially. Mm -hmm. It's just, it, it happens, even if I'm not, even if it's not like the height of summer, it still can happen just inside my own house. So like mm -hmm. the cold is the only thing that like makes mm -hmm. it better essentially. But I will say also the right lotion makes all the difference. And so I was saying all this to say in the beginning, before I moved here, we didn't have anything more than like Vaseline and mm -hmm. like Eucerine. And we would try to com combine both to like give me some semblance of like comfort because what happens is the wrong lotion would just sit right on top of my skin and mm -hmm. not penetrate and do anything and just make me more uncomfortable. But when I got here, they introduced me Shriners to Hydrofor, which mm -hmm. is now discontinued. And I don't know why that would ever happen, but mm -hmm. like I never was able to get, get to like anyone to tell me why, like the company, why they did that. But that was like a lifesaver for me once. Mm. That's what trainers uses for, used for their burn survivors. And so when I got there, that's what they gave me. And just, I just had this endless supply. And so after I left the Shriner system, I used to just like get a direct supply from like the, the supplier essentially. Mm -hmm. Cause that, mm -hmm. cause I guess maybe the water 
soluble water-based kind of a um, ointment is the kind of thing that yeah. works for me. So Hydrofor right. was that. After they discontinued that, I worked with, because Shriners was panicking too, like, what are we going to do? So we right. tried to, when, um, so they called me and were like, what are you doing, you know, now? Because that mm-hmm. means for their patient. So I was like, I'm in the middle of, I feel like a chemist. I'm here trying to figure <laughs> out, how to, like, combine this and combine that, trying to figure out what the heck to do. <laughs> It was crazy. My mom, we were like, what are we going to do? So what do I, what I did was we got Aquaphor, but by itself, mm. it's too thick. It doesn't do much for me. So I started pouring things like eucerin in there at first. Mm. I worked out, mixed it with like um, some oils. The, uh, the one that worked at the end was um, the Aquaphor with bio oil. So pouring in bio oil mm. and mixing it there. It just like, once I put it on my skin that first time, it was like, it felt like Hydrofor. And I just knew like mm-hmm. this. So I called um, the nurse in, in, in like Shriners and let him know, like, this is what I'm doing. It might help y'all, but just so you know. That's <laughs> so um, that's what I, that's it's what fascinating I that you mix them together. I always just yeah. went by. So I actually used for a while um, and still do to this day, yeah. but I used like I would order when you said you order from the manufacturer, like yeah. I would order tubs from. Um, the Dr. Shorty's burn butter. So she is a doctor in, in Please Texas. Please say that again. Cause... Yeah, it's it's <laughs> Dr. Shorty's um, burn butter. Um, and I'll send you the links after I'll put it in her description. Do, but yeah. uh, but Dr. Shorty's, she actually attended one of our world burns, I believe, as um, well, Rachel. And so I used that for a long time and I still do. Um, and ordered, I would order, like, I think at one point I had like 16 tubs, like stacked up in the back of, but, um, and they were one in every room. So I use hers. I also have tried a vino and I don't know if you've tried that, but I found that. I have tried a vino and I think I was set of fill or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. About that, but those didn't quite work for me. That didn't work. But yeah, the Dr. Shorty's, I liked, I'm big on smell and I had my burn center gave us cocoa butter, but I always was like, I felt like I smelled like a chocolate bar. So <laughs> I had to do away with it for a while, but yes, those are my go-tos, but check out Dr. Shorty. She's also in Texas. Sure. So I, you're, you, know, <laughs> you should know that I'm probably going to order today. I'm not even going <laughs> to say that bio oil, bio oil is not cheap. It really is not. And so having to buy it every time I want to buy it, like mix my cream is always like it's just like an expense that I'd rather not have. So I'm 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 yeah. definitely picking that out. Check her out. Yeah, uh, Tracy Short. She's on Instagram too. She's great. I absolutely love Dr. Shorty's. Uh, I can't believe I've gone through a whole season and hadn't mentioned her. So I think that's the first time I've. I used to sw- like tell everyone I knew screaming from the mountaintops, and I can't believe I haven't mentioned it so far. <laughs> well, I'm so happy you did today because you're about to change my life. You have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> I will, and and I will also just quickly add to, and then we can move on. Uh, but I also use different lotions depending on the season. So if you're oh. listening and want to try something out, I have to use a lighter lotion in the summer because I am so sweaty, yeah. and in the winter I have to use something thicker because yeah. I mm-hmm. get too dry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like sunscreen too is a big. I feel like yeah. I catch you. I don't know about you, but I'm like always so picky. I use the my doctor gave me the bottle that turns blue when it's sun outside. It's called Blue Lizard, and the mm-hmm. the sunscreen actually turns 
blue when UV rays are on it. So I think wow. you can get it at like Target, but you'll have to check it out. It's also real cool, but it, I'm very picky about blue, Like when you put it on too, or is it just a bottle or is it? <laughs> no, you don't turn blue when you put it on. Just that would be cool though. I think we need to propose that to them. I, catchy. Be that. I think that would be a pretty cool indicator. Watch out. You know, it's how you, you catch them in the lie. Like you're not wearing sunscreen. You're not. That's right. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, um, I think let's just switch gears a little bit if it's okay, okay. with you, Kitchy. I want to okay. talk about your love of music. Um, when did that start? Um, and how did that like play a role in your recovery? Oh my gosh. So music is something, I mean, obviously we all love music in some form, but um, I grew up in a very like very particularly music household from both sides of my family. Um, my mom's side especially. A lot of us sing. A lot of us have always loved to sing. It's in my, it's just, it's in my family. And my dad's side, he has the most eclectic like taste in music. He's not tied to any genre, never has been. So I grew up with that basically. Um, I also had like a, a lot of like years I spent in the children's choir. And um, a lot of my music influences were my parents, from my parents for sure. And then growing up, you know, um, I, I sang in children's choir and then I got to high school, sang in the high school choir, only a little bit though. That one, I was never quite um, disciplined enough to like go for all their like meetings and stuff. So I never quite joined. I would only sing like on some special occasions. But um, as I got older, my voice got better and I, I loved singing. I would sing a lot of times just for like my friends, for fun and um, for like some high school events and things like that. So it was never really anything serious. Like I never grew up thinking, oh yeah, one day I'm going to pursue this as a career. It was just mm -hmm. like a hobby that made me happy. And every time I sang, I, I loved it. I enjoyed it. And I would, of course, like I'm sure everyone else does put on like my own mini concert in like my room, imagining myself like in front of a crowd, like doing a little mm -hmm. Beyonce and like just having fun. <laughs> I all love some Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was like just my music experience as a teenager. This is around the time the accident happened. Now, what's interesting, though, is that following the accident, something actually uh, happened to my voice. Like, it, there's no way to explain it except to say that it just got better, like, after mm -hmm. the accident. It, it, there was a noticeable change in mm -hmm. my tone, in the way I sounded that, that was just not there before. And my mom will attest to this because, like, literally the first time I opened my mouth and sang after the accident, this was in South Africa in the hospital, I remember it was a Kelly Clarkson song and I was singing along to her like new album just came out and my mom just like kind of turned to me. I was like, what was that? That's not how you used to sound. And I was like, I know what is this? I don't know what this is. <laughs> like both of us are just like baffled. Like what? That's weird. Like did, did something happen? Like shift with, with like my, my lungs or what? Like, what is that? Mm -hmm. We never really got like a medical reason why. Frankly, I didn't really care. I was just happy <laughs> about it. You know, it was like, it was like, you know, one good thing, you know, at least I could see that. It's like one, exactly, one positive thing. And it was more importantly, something I could enjoy regardless of how I was feeling and what I was mm -hmm. doing. You know, if, even if I can't walk, I, I, have, I don't have the strength to move my physical body. I could open my mouth and sing and entertain myself in that way no matter the circumstance. So of course that made it something even more special for me because it, it seemed to be this one thing in my life that had not been affected, rather had been improved in fact, by what happened to me. So um, I grew very attached to it. It literally healed parts of me that like no surgery really could reach. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was um, 
a reason why I, I fully appreciated Shriners making it a part of my, my like my healing and my mm. recovery when I eventually came to America. They saw how much I love music, how much I love singing. And so um, something that they actually only initially offered to their kids, like their little kid um, burn patients, became something they expanded to include like all ages because of me. And mm, um, that's awesome. When they saw that, you know, it was something that I loved. They felt like I would benefit from like music therapy as well. So mm-hmm. um, they introduced me th- to the music therapist at the time, who was Christine, who's a dear friend till today. I we just mm-hmm. connected, so it was like immediate, like the connection, and um, it just became my happy place. You know, um, I would always look forward to it, and um, it was something I would do after physical therapy. You know, because that one usually hurt, but like mm-hmm. it always forward to like this thing that did pain completely pain-free experience following physical therapy and incidentally Shriners was the first place where I actually had my first concert um we <laughs> had me myself and and under other burnt so there was there were two other burn patients who also loved music so one of them she was a drummer she mm. just to show how incredible Shriners really is like this is someone who drummed professionally you know she was a drummer and her accident her her um, burns caused her like her fingers, all her fingers were gone. Mm. So you can imagine what that would do to someone like that psychologically. So what they did was they built a contraption that allowed her to still grip like the drumsticks. Oh, wow. Where she can like still like hit the drum sets just as hard as she would had she still had her fingers. And I always thought that that was like right there, a great example of the kind of lengths that Shriners would go to, to like really Mm. be very, like address each patient's, based on their own situation. There was never any blanket kind of treatment for everyone. We were all treated like individuals. And that's what made that experience with Shriner so special to mm. me. So Norma, that was her name. I hope she's doing well now. I haven't talked to her in years, but it was fun. We formed like a little band with the rest of the music therapy team. And we put on a concert for the kids that were like inpatient in the, in the hospital. It was like on the seventh floor of the hospital and the board in one of the big like uh, meeting rooms. And it was so fun. I still like Christine still has that footage till today. And oh, wow. uh, it's just so crazy to hear me. Like I, I can hear all the nerves and I can hear the moment where I was like finally a little more relaxed. But the thing is, you know, it's kids. They wouldn't have cared how I sounded. They'd clap at anything. So they didn't care. They were just there for fun. And so that was my mm-hmm. first concert experience, you know. And then after that, Still, music was not going to be something that I would pursue like professionally. It was just like now it's just this really, really cool hobby, you know, and I had this karaoke machine my dad got me and I would just jam out on that thing every single chance I got. Once I was healed enough from a surgery, I was on that machine 24-7, just like singing every song I could Mm -hmm. possibly sing. And I still have that machine still today. But um, would I have ever guessed like America's Got Talent would happen? Um, I didn't plan. I didn't even sign up for that show. Like. One of my best friends actually signed me up without telling me. That's how that. <laughs> That's oh amazing. <laughs> so I was just, I was literally in the middle of my MBA. I was not doing anything with music except for singing. Singing in my church worship team to me was already like, like a jump out of my comfort zone. To me, I was already doing more than I ever did with my voice. I felt like okay, God, like at this, like you can't be like. There's no issue here because I'm. You can't say I'm like holding this gifts back or whatever, because I'm doing something with it. I'm singing and I'm singing to you. So like, it can't be a bad thing. Like this is, this is enough, you know? So I was never going to pursue anything further, but my friend for years before this had always been telling me to sign up for the show. My dad is she well. a fan of the show. She is a huge fan of any 
music show. So okay. <laughs> American Idol, America's Got Talent. She would tell me about X Factor. When The Voice came out, she started sending those to me too. This is years, <laughs> like years, guys, of doing this. So finally, <laughs> she just got sick of me. And she just texted me one day and said, listen, I signed you up for America's Got Talent. I filled <laughs> out the form because I missed, she sent me the, the, the um, when they were doing like the in-person auditions and right. I just ignored that. So when they started doing the online audition, she was like, maybe do this instead. And I was like, ah, maybe I'll think about it. Never did it. So she just went ahead, filled it out, <laughs> put in her email just in case they reject me. She was like, I wouldn't even see it. I got it. <laughs> covered all the base. She was like, let's just see what happens. And I was like, well, she's already done it. I mean, it's done. So that's cool. That's, that's fine. And then they called me. So <laughs> she changed my life quite literally. You know, <laughs> and I hope you're still friends to this day. Oh no, she's I mean, come on, like someone that would go that far for you, there's just no way I could be mad at her for that. She obviously believed in me in a way that like till today I struggle really to. So I mean to have someone see that in you, I think is a blessing. And uh mm -hmm. I I would never have taken that step like just quite literally. So um I I will always be grateful to her for taking that chance to helping me take that chance on myself, you know. So mm -hmm. yeah, so that's I guess just in summary, what music is to me, it's everything. It's really, and it's fun. I love it. So that's amazing. So what was that experience like? Like when you got that call, what were your expectations going into America's Got Talent? Or did you, you're just happy you got a phone call? <laughs> that's, that's such a great question because expectations literally zero. I went in like, look, I didn't even put myself here. So <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea what God's plan here is, but I firmly believe that if things happen in your life and you've already dedicated mm -hmm. your life to him, you've told him, listen, whatever like you want from me, just let, like take charge and let, like, let your will like overcome mine in like situations where like you feel like I'm just doing things like stupidly, like just do whatever you need to. So mm -hmm. I do what I'm supposed to with my life. Like I've always felt that way very strongly. So when the way this happened just felt so, miraculous really and 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 just the fact that like I got into this situation without any effort from myself was to me like a sign that maybe there's something here that mm -hmm. I should explore I didn't know what it was I didn't go in thinking I might win or like I might even make it past the first audition but I just felt like maybe there's something in this experience that matters in the grand scheme of my life so I just kind of went in like Let's just see what happens. That was my entire attitude towards it. So after every, so after the first audition, it was like, okay, that actually happened. Like I, up until that moment, I, I didn't believe they would actually put me on T. Like, like I didn't believe, like, I felt like they liked my story, I think, you know, and my voice is, it's okay. It's good. I think that's fine. Do I think it's competitive? I don't know if I would say that, but cool. But will they actually air this? Like, I'm not really, I don't know how far they're going to, cause I've never seen, you know, Oh, so you had never seen, which is also hilarious that you hadn't even watched it. Like, <laughs> like I, I've never, oh no, I've watched the show, but I've never seen okay. survivors on TV, like up okay. until that point. So yeah. and this is NBC. It's literally a national station. So I was just like, mm -hmm. is this going to happen? Like, okay, let's see. So when the first episode came out and I saw myself, I was like, damn, I, I guess they're serious. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so like I passed the first audition and I was like, okay. And then the judge cuts came and then it was like, you're going to the live shows. I was like, I, I didn't prepare for it being this far, you know, like I don't, right. I was just like, okay, so I'm actually going to, okay. Okay. So just let's see how this goes. So the live show start. 
getting to the live shows, like basically at every step, I'm like, I cannot believe I made it this far. I'm just already grateful. If I were to go home from here, it'll be more than what I already expected. So that's fine. Mm. So when every stage came and I would pass, I was just like, what the heck is going on? Is this for <laughs> Are people actually voting? Is my voice actually, like is my voice actually like good enough to be here? Like this is so when I got to the top ten, I was like top ten, wow! <laughs> like this is this is just the, I don't even know what to make of this, you know. So it was very exciting, and also I would say it was really just really sweet to see people like because I've never really grown up hearing much about my voice aside from like people around me that I knew, mm-hmm. and then I guess. When I started singing in church, I started hearing like, you know, people just in the congregation, like every once in a while, like, oh, you sound so nice. So having the experience of strangers telling me like how I sound and giving an opinion about it was new for me, especially mm-hmm. on that platform. These are people like the judges, like Simon, Heidi, Mel B, people who like hear talented people all the time. To mm-hmm. hear them validate my voice, I would not deny was extremely um, just very satisfying. And I was just full of gratitude for that. You know, it really humbled me. And so... Um, I just started, they actually helped me believe more and more in myself and in my voice Mm -hmm. that there's actually something special there. So after the show, you know, the main thing they gave me was that platform, you know, to share my story, to let just get people to know more about me and to be inspired by me in some form. I think that was the biggest takeaway from America's Got Talent. But of course, like being able to hear people validate my voice made me more confident in it. And till today, that confidence that is like, I think it's something that would probably endlessly grow. So um, I'm just really grateful so far for everything. Honestly, it's, it's just it's really gratitude would be the main the main emotion, I think, from everything. You know, I love that you talked to about like finding, you know, realizing that there might have been a greater purpose for injury, because I think that's really, really hard. Right. It's, it's like hard. in the moment. And I think you know, people tell you that, or I've heard other survivors, right. Give that advice to others. Like, Oh, you know, you don't always know what, you know, that I, I think it's so hard to believe that until you're on the other side. And I think like now that I'm on, on the other side, I see like there is a greater purpose for things that happen for us, but sometimes in that moment it can feel. Oh Oh my God. It's, it's impossible. It's near impossible to see beyond the experience as it's happening. Mm -hmm. There's it's, it's a great, Example for me would be my itching. In the moment when it was at its worst, my mom would tell me it'll get better. And I'll just look at her like, there's just no, like how, like this, these, like how for it to get better would imply the burns would go away because the burns are what, like, this is what's, what's causing it. And if I'm going to have this for life, there's no reason for me not, not to believe that these, that this itching is not going to be for life because I just could not see a future where I would not be itching 24 seven. It was, it felt like hell. It felt like mm. literal living hell, you know? And so I just could not see past that. So mm. I just feel like had I stayed in like a depressed state at that time, had I stayed in that low place forever, I would never have afforded myself the chance for to see a future where things would be better. And now I'm currently living in that better. And it's something that I'm so grateful for, mm. you know? But it's everything, I mean, it just goes back to what you said. It's so hard to see it mm. as it's happening. You just can't see beyond that. And I think for me, a big angle of being on that show on TV was to to tackle exactly that for other burn survivors. Because I know mm-hmm. up, we or rather like going through our experience as burn survivors, especially kids, like anyone really, it's just hard to imagine life after all of this. Like it's hard mm-hmm. to 
life beyond the hospital, life beyond the surgeries, the physical therapy, the the splints and the face mask and the 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 sutures and the, everything that has to do with having these burns. I think it's so hard to see the after. And mm. you hear it from the nurses and the doctors, like for sure it's going to get better. They don't have the experience you have. So it's just hard to be, really internalize it from their point of view. But when you hear it from someone who looks like you, when you mm. hear it from someone who obviously has the exact same experience as you, you can see it physically on them that they've had that. It makes all the difference. And so mm. I wanted to be a voice, like I wanted to be such a voice that can, and, and such a presence, a role model of the fact that what these doctors and nurses are saying is real. It's true mm -hmm. that there is life after trauma. I'm literally living that life. And I want people who have experienced what we've experienced to see me, to see us and, and envision like what their own after will be as well, based on what they can see us doing. Cause you know, mm -hmm. they know we've seen that they know that we understand what they're currently going through mm -hmm. and such a positive representation right because you we we talk about this all the time it's like media representation of burn survivors isn't always positive like it's unfortunate but that's the, the fact of the game so to see such a positive story right and such a happy like ending for you exactly. um i think was what what hits me the most is to know that you have that story out there of it doesn't have to be the way it's always portrayed on. Yes, exactly. In the media. Right? The nice. The reality can be like, you can still have fun. You know, you can mm. still, there's stuff to still laugh about, you know, and stuff to enjoy, even in this body as it is, you know, it might be different, but you can still have fun in it. You know, you don't have to stop enjoying life. And I think, I think honestly, in, not just burn survivors, we all really need that on some level, you know? So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I love too that, you know, that you're being vulnerable too. It's not a perfect story after either. There's highs and lows. And unfortunately, like we said, we just don't see that a lot in the mm -hmm. media or really online or anywhere at mm -hmm. all. So I'm, I love that, you know, you're sharing your story, but this purpose, and I know you also, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little here, but you also wrote a book, your memoir. Yes. Um, and so can you tell us a little bit more about what, you know, I'm sure it's more than just your burn injury in that memoir. So can you tell us a little bit more about it? Not a problem. So More Than My Scars um, is my book that I came out with um, last year. And it's, I mean, so the, title is, the title is very pretty much self-explanatory. It's That's literally my life mantra that I am more than my scars and that we are more than our scars, our trauma, you know, burn survivors or anyone else who has any physical kind of injury or trauma or invisible trauma, they're all valid and they're all equal. And I feel that I wanted people from all walks of life to feel represented by just the title, even before getting into the book, that we are all more than what we have been through. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that was one of the, that was the, the main, the, like the most important message, I think, that I wanted to put out there into the world. I wanted anyone else, anyone else who can relate to any kind of traumatic experience to feel seen through this book and through the words on my pages. And I wanted to really take people into the nitty gritty of what it means to, to survive something like this. Like um, a lot of people encountered me in the after, you know, where things are much better. They didn't really encounter me in the growing, the developing, the, the parts where I had to, strive and struggle to get to the mindset that I currently have. 
It was not smooth. It was messy. It was a struggle. And I mm -hmm. wanted to share that entire thing with everyone so that people know that I'm not like, there's nothing special here. Like I'm a human being just like you. And I struggled to get to this place. I'm happy I'm here now. And I'm mm -hmm. happy I, that how I am now can serve as some kind of inspiration for anyone out there, hopefully. But um, I wasn't born this way. You know, it, it, it mm -hmm. developed. It was, it was things around me. It was the people around me, the, the people that the energy that was fed into my life, my faith played a huge role in that as well. And a big part of my personality also played a role in how I end up too. So I just wanted to show everything about that. And I, I knew that a lot of burn survivors would definitely relate to like my story and the things that I went through, this different surges and things like that. And then the identity issues as well, you know, trying to figure out who you are after all this mm. in a world that is so judgmental and will try mm. to tell you how to feel about yourself if you let it, you know? So, mm. you know, also just talking about how, what I had to go through to take back that power to make sure that I owned who I was before I went back out into the world looking different, you know? And so mm -hmm. I just wanted to show people like, this is what I did. So maybe this can serve as like an example to someone who might need just a different perspective also on how to deal with trauma. So I think um, that's really why I wrote my book. And that's what's pretty much in the pages, you know, condensed. And um, every time I hear that someone else has read it or has has been touched by it in some way. And, you know, people text me all the time, mostly DMs or Facebook messages. <laughs> it always makes me feel like like the first time I got one stranger telling me that they read it and it touched them in some way. That was mm -hmm. all I needed to know about the fact that I was supposed to do this because it really, one, 1,001 million, it's all the same to me. I want to just reach someone with the life after trauma message. Mm -hmm. And I think that so far it's reached like quite a few people and mm -hmm. I'm just so grateful for that. So, you know, it, it was an effort that was not wasted at all, you know, and um, I, think I that's beautiful. Normal know about it yeah so I'm, I'm, I'm just very happy yeah I think that's so beautiful and what you said really you know I think hits home because especially at, with someone with a, a following right so whether it's on Instagram or Facebook or wherever with that social media today and I see this even just in my own life people see what you want them to see and so sometimes it can be really hard for them to see the struggles right like this is me now but I also struggled a lot Absolutely. you know behind the scenes and so yeah. it's really great for you to be vulnerable in that in that book to be able to tell there is right there's life after trauma but i still went through it and it still wasn't fantastic it was, <laughs> yeah. it was very ugly it was not pretty at all no right. yeah um yeah that's really what i wanted to show and you know I, I try my best to make sure that my social media never um misrepresents mm -hmm. who i am i'm not gonna lie it's hard and it gets harder the more your following grows undoubtedly it's, it's only natural mm -hmm. the more people follow you the more you feel the need to put out a certain image because you feel like that's the image that drew them to you mm -hmm. but you forget that like you know um the authenticity of who you are is what you may have i mean if you started your page or your social media with that and you started growing and following from that that was really the main attraction it wasn't really anything else but that and so as my following grew over the years i had to constantly check myself to make sure I'm still doing things for the same exact reason I first started like this, all these different social media um, platforms. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that I'm not, you know, um, just showing the rosy stuff. I want to make sure that I'm constantly showing my reality, which is mm -hmm. full of ups and downs. So when I'm having a bad day, um, of course, no one wants to post when they're having a bad day. 
but I intentionally try to do that too because people mm-hmm. need to know. I I just firmly believe that like, well, I guess this is not anything new. It's 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 true. It's just that it's hard for people to do. But I, I really want to to um be an example of something that we all know, which is the fact that like the more we put out our authentic lives on social media, mm-hmm. the less pressure people feel who are like um, consuming that media to, um, I guess, put out like a fake image that they feel they have mm-hmm. to maintain online. You know, we're all influenced by the things that we read and see, and there's so much stimulation now out there. So mm-hmm. I feel like the more we see like reality, the more we know it's okay to also post reality. Mm-hmm. And then the less we are all just as a society pressured by different standards. So I think I wanted to make sure that like, I would be like, however I am now, how I was before, it doesn't change how I post. So people can still see like, you know, that this person is living a balanced life. It's not all great, mm-hmm. bad too. Yeah. I think, I think, I hope that I can continue that mainly for the sake of burn survivors who follow me because I want them to like, you know, I, cause I, I have many ways and stuff, but I make a point, although that one's not really, admittedly, it's not too hard because I've always done it, but like I wear my hat sometimes. Sometimes I just go mm. without my wigs and just show my hair like as it is because mm. that's, my, that's my life. That's, that's who I actually am. That's my reality. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I wear wigs, sometimes I don't. So um, mm. I think burn survivors were already so like different looking because of what's happened to us. So I think, we need the encouragement to like post like everyone else, even despite how we look. And so mm-hmm. I, you see other brand survivors, like just posting like a normal, like anyone else would, it allows you to feel like you can do that too. And you, you, mm-hmm. want, you know, so. For sure. And I do think, and maybe this is just me because I've been trying to be better at this. Mm-hmm. I do feel like we are seeing a shift of what people mm-hmm. are posting online, that it's less of it's just you. the 100, like the filter all the way yeah. turned up where you don't even look like yourself anymore. Exactly. I do well, yeah. see that. And that gives me hope knowing me that, okay, maybe this is a trend that's changing. It's this better. generation. It's like these Gen Z, they are changing the game, especially mm-hmm. with TikTok. I'm not even going to lie. Like, I think they were born into this era of like a lot mm-hmm. of BS of like just putting out image and they are doing everything they can to fight that because Break it they're, down. Seeing, they're seeing that it's really messing with them like mentally and they don't want that and they're so into like mental health like being healthy mentally mm-hmm. and I think that they've seen that correlation with like mental health and like you know social media and they're trying to really just make sure that look some days I wear makeup some days I don't and that's okay mm-hmm. and I'm loving that shit I love I'm, that because being on social media like all the time, I, I literally am seeing that. And it's it's really, really wonderful. I, I just, I love everything about it. So I hope that it's a trend that continues for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's, it's just great to see, honestly. So yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned mm-hmm. that because that's so true. Yeah. And as somebody who's like self-proclaimed and, you know, mental health advocacy, I think that's, that's even seen a shift of like, it's okay to not be okay, right? And so um, it's, I think even just, it's a hard thing in generations, right? To get, yeah. to get every generation to true. understand. Mm-hmm. But I've seen it more and more of being vulnerable and being willing to put yourself out there because I think it surprises you, right? Like, and I, I take this back to my burn injury, but I think it's anything in general. It, it may surprise you when you put something out there about a burn injury or a mental health struggle or whatnot, how many other folks can relate, Great. right? Yep. <laughs> 
And I'm sure how many DMs you get when you when you're vulnerable and tell something versus how just you know sharing a, a picture of positivity. Oh, yeah. I think there's oh, yeah. are, there are there's power in being able to relate to something that we struggle yeah. with as humans. It's, it's representation. It it matters in every form. That's the fact. And so and it helps to destigmatize, you know, um, just the idea of getting help for like you know mental. Mm -hmm issues just like physical issues you know mm. it's, it's important you know being like growing up in like my country nigeria is um a country that is um heavily biased against mental health there's mm. a very interesting cultural um history of being attached to this notion of struggle like um making it a part of like your, not personality, a part of, it's almost like, like um, glorifying struggle and, and struggling through difficulty is like the way to be, it's the way to be a, a strong person, is the way to like, you need to like go through that, like things difficult in a difficult way. And, and like, you need to deal with stuff on your own in mm -hmm. order to like be strong. There's, there's that, it's a very deep rooted kind of mentality. And it comes from just the hardship of living in a country mm -hmm. like Nigeria. Just, I think that's just what it is. It, because of how hard the country is, people just end up having to just grit their teeth and bear different, like, mm -hmm unfortunate circumstances and then they grow and so that was our parents you know they that's what they did they had to right. overcome difficult stuff to get to where they are and have us and make sure that we don't have to struggle the way that they did you know mm -hmm. but then they forget that in making that life better for us we want better for ourselves too mm -hmm. you know we don't want to struggle like they did mm -hmm. we don't want to have to go through things independently and alone and then ended up carrying all this on treated baggage in our like in our mental like states which is what a lot of our parents are dealing with till today and projecting on their kids so we are trying to as time which is what's supposed to happen break that cycle of like going through things by yourself and mm. how it's like this it's almost like there's a shame in asking for help and mm. that you're not mentally okay but like people today my generation and like the ones coming after us are trying to destigmatize that in Nigeria. And that's a really very, it's a, it's an uphill, it's a very hard, a very steep climb because we're this is something, this struggle mentality is something that's entrenched in, in the in the culture. So um it's interesting to see that even a country like Nigeria, which I'm very familiar with, I know how people are there, even them, even there, like the idea of just psychology, mental health, mental awareness, like it's growing and for it to reach even a country like that, I think means that there's definitely some kind of global shift happening. And I'm just happy to be alive, like in, in an era where it's happening, you know? So I really, I really appreciate that. But yeah, it's, it's definitely great to see it happening. Just stigmatizing of mental, mental illness or mental mm -hmm. events. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And hopefully it's a trend that continues that we yeah. can all mm -hmm. help support. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I know we're we're running out of time already, but we have a few more questions um, okay. for you that we want to go through really quick. Mm -hmm. So, and I don't want to not talk about your debut album because that was a huge, huge, <laughs> huge milestone for you. So Thank could you, you. Yeah. Could you ever have imagined when in 2005, when your burn injury happened, that you would have your own debut album? 
<laughs> and that Simon Cowell is raving about you, right? <laughs> um, 16 year old Ketchy would like her head will be like, she would be like, that's a lot, like, cap. There's no way that there's just like, how do we, where the trajectory wouldn't even make sense because, like, that's not even where my life was. Like, I never envisioned anything like that, you know? So, it's what's interesting that has happened in my life is that the things that I've always been interested in, the things that I have, the number one, like the, there's three things I've always loved, music, singing, writing, and talking, <laughs> talking <laughs> just talking. I've, I've always had that issue, like from like elementary school, like I would have a report card and teacher would be like, <laughs> she's a great student, but she's a chronic noisemaker. She's always <laughs> a constant, like every year from like grade, like, like one to six, like I, it was anyway. So these are three things I've always loved doing. So of course I was in speech and debate in like high school na mm -hmm. naturally. And I was like, I sang a lot in school and I actually wrote a book while I was in high school. So while people were studying, oh, wow. I was uh, writing this fictional story about like a gypsy girl and this teenage boy who moves to a new city and met this community of gypsies. And like, they had a romance. Like that's what I, that's the story that I wrote like, in like my like notebooks and it became like one notebook into like five like taped together and it got to a point where like I had like my classmates and my peers like literally forming like lines like virtual lines like waiting to read like every update and I always <laughs> think about this because like in the moment when it was happening it was like I'm just having fun but when I think about it it's like I literally set all these things in motion that are happening in my life now at that time I just didn't mm. know it yet unfortunately that book I was actually taking it home the day the accident happened to show my mom for mm. the first time and obviously it's gone that really sucks because I was so excited to show her like here's what I've been doing instead of studying mom this is what I've been doing I've been writing <laughs> <laughs> but um I just find it so interesting how like it took a very weird like I guess windy path but somehow those things that I thought of as like just hobbies in high school ended up being like literal careers today. Mm. And I find it so interesting that somehow God just kind of found me, like helped me find my way right back to these things that I've always loved mm. to do. So, mm. um, I mean, 15 year old catchy would never have seen the path that it would have taken to get to this place, but would definitely be very happy that that's what happened with her life. Mm -hmm. you know. Um, so I'm, I'm just really grateful. The album was a work of love for sure, because it was a mm -hmm. collaboration. Every single person that worked on that album donated their time, their efforts, their energy, their studio mm -hmm. to me to make that happen. Just people from all over the world who believed in me and wanted to help me just quite sincerely. And so I'm so proud of it. I'm so grateful for it. And it set a lot of great things in motion that hopefully mm -hmm. will happen this year. And um, I'm just really excited for whatever music is going to be like for me. I I, I want to do so much with it. I want to I want to do everything that I possibly can. So I'm just really along for the ride. And I don't know how long this is going to last and how long I'm going to be able to do this. But forever for however long, I'm I'm happy and I'm grateful. So yeah amazing that's awesome i'm so happy for you i've listened thank to the you. album it's beautiful oh thank you so much <laughs> yeah. a lot really of thank course you. of course <laughs> so before we close out we always ask our okay. girls at graphs um guests two questions so our first question is do you do anything special to celebrate your anniversary 
And it's okay if you don't have anything. We just love to know. Sometimes we hear some yeah. really unique ways. Stories. Yeah. <laughs> um, my anniversary is a day that I take stock of the year. The mm-hmm how things have been since the last, the last anniversary. And I think about what I've done with my life and how much of it I have, um, I guess, uh, devoted towards my promise to the 60 angels from my school who passed away in that accident. Cause uh, one of the main things that gave me um, purpose, I guess, again, and drew me out of my depression when things were really bad was drawing strength from their memories mm-hmm. instead of being sad about their passing and staying depressed that they were no longer here using my life as a way to just glorify them a way to honor them you know um and basically living my life for them as well so just remembering always that my life is not just mine but you know it's also for those 60 angels you know, when I got to high school, I, I continued high school for them. When I finished college, I graduated. I did that for them. So they are always at the forefront of, of what I do. And it's not necessarily to do anything incredible, but just to make sure that whatever I end up doing, I do it well. Because I'm doing it. It's, it's, it's something that they never got a chance, the second chance mm-hmm. that I got to do. So Every year, I try to take stock of what I've done since the last time I touched base with the angels, and I try to just show them what other things I've done to kind of continue to honor their memory and to show them that I'm appreciating this second chance at life I was given that was taken mm-hmm. from them. So I usually do this by either, like, it's always a post, like, you know, it's always like, it used to, in the beginning, I actually started doing this after I moved to America. So I moved here and then... Once I made like a, my first like social media accounts, I would use that to kind of update people on what was going on with me because, you know, what happened was a national, everyone knew about it, like especially mm-hmm. So there were a lot of people that were very eager to just know how is she doing, what it's like from all over the world. So that was the main reason I opened my first um, social media account, which was on Facebook. So I actually started doing this like post where I would talk to the angels like mm-hmm. on my social media platform. And I started doing this in 2010. Oh. So since then, every year I put I put something up. It might be just text. It might be a video. It might just be a picture. But it's usually a video where I just kind of talk to my audience. I talk to them. And I'm just like, once again, just grateful for making it to yet another another anniversary. You know, so that's what I do. So, I mean, my social media, like every, every single December 10th, you will see like a post that I did on that day dedicated to the angels and to everyone else who passed away that day. So that's what I do. That's it. That's beautiful. I love that. And I love that you can go back, right? And look at the almost like journal entries that you've made. So that's, that's, exactly that's beautiful. It exactly. Well, I know we're, we're coming up on time here, Kitty, but, but um, before you go, my mm-hmm. question for survivors is always, what does self-care look like for Ketchy? So how do you practice self-care in your life and what do you like to do? Self-care is always making sure that I have room and time to do something that I truly love, something that mm. will feed my spirit, my soul, and not just my body. So um, for me, that um, can change depending on what mood I'm in. A lot of times, it is eating my favorite food. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, a lot of times, other times, it's singing for fun, mm. not singing for work but just singing for fun because I want to always remember that I just actually sincerely love this stuff. 
you know, um, and then other times it's reading for fun. So going through so much school, I just finished my MBA and I, I've done so much reading that I just would frankly never have done. <laughs> I try to just once in a while read something that I actually chose. Like um, last year, my biggest achievement was reading um, The Body Keeps the Score. And oh, I love that book. That was a book that had been recommended to me like for a while. And I finally read it last year and it changed my like. I didn't know I had any other any more changing to do. I, I have to be honest. Like I felt I've always sometimes I just feel like I've peaked. Like I'm pretty much like how I'm gonna be for the rest of my life. But that that book changed a lot of my perspectives. So um I do something for myself where I just it can sometimes it's a fictional book. It doesn't have to be like a, a book like you know, like that's like that. Um, but just reading a book that I I just wanted, I read, I chose for myself, not because like mm -hmm. someone read it for like a grade. So that's another thing. And um I think those are the main things, honestly. That's really what I think self it's really just being kind to yourself, you know, and mm. and just remembering to just cut yourself some slack sometimes and do something fun, like sometimes, you know, just for the heck of it, not because mm. it means to an end, but just because it's something that you like. That's I think what's and it's important for anyone, not just burn survivors, but I think specifically for burn survivors, I think, you know, we we've been through a lot. And so we sometimes kind of can get used to like, just, you know, surviving, you know, but, mm -hmm. but, you know, we need to thrive too. And so sometimes we need to remind ourselves that it's, it's, it's important that we thrive, not just survive what we've been through. So that's, that's Rachel's favorite, favorite yeah. saying surviving yeah. and thriving <laughs> and catching. I love the body keeps the score. Somebody recently told me about another book that they like called um, "Waking the Tiger." Have you heard, have you read "Waking the Tiger" Tiger by Peter Levine? I have. They told. I heard about that in our recent support group. One of our mental health uh, counselors gave it to us, so I started reading it. So far, it's really good, uh, but maybe that'll be on your twenty twenty three. Yeah, twenty twenty three. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I love it. <laughs> I have another well, one. On my list. Uh, it's called uh, <laughs> "Professional Troublemaker." That's another one. Oh, I, I have asking. not. Yeah, I have not heard about that one. It's by Lovey Jones. It's okay. It, she, I follow her already on social media, but like, this is a book. She has two books that I've always wanted to read. This is the first one that like put her on like bestseller, like New York Times and all that. So I've never read it. I want to read that. So it's, yeah, it's called Professional Troublemaker. It's really I'll have to look at breaking, it. yeah, breaking barriers and things. It's very cool. You give me so much good stuff. This like, <laughs> <laughs> like look up when I leave this. Oh, well, Getty, it has been truly a pleasure. We'll have to do this again sometime yes. soon. Uh, please, if there's you know any time we can here at Phoenix Society provide you any more support or you want to come chat with us again, we'd love to have you Thanks. once again. Thank it's you so pleasure. so much. <laughs> thank you guys so much Ooh. for having. Me. It's been great. Well, it's a pleasure. Well, thank you so much, Ketchy. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Girls with Crafts. If you are enjoying this content, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.